usually takes place at a marriage. And today we're looking at conflict, and we've entitled today, The One You Marry. You see, the reason the word home and the reason homes can be scary is because the center of so many scary homes is a dysfunctional marriage at the center of it. Now, we make jokes about marriage. I love marriage jokes. This is one of my favorite. I do this at wet this joke at weddings often. Never goes over well, but I keep doing it. <laughs> Attending a wedding for the first time, a little girl whispered to her mother, why is the bride wearing white? The mother replies, because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. Thinking about it for a moment, the little girl leaned back to her mom and said this, so then why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> Usually it goes over that way at the marriages, but any other weddings, either way. You know what, in the end, nothing will determine the direction of your adult life more than the person you marry. If you are here today and you are not married and you're thinking, well, I'm not married, but Pastor Steve's going to talk about it really is important. Here's the thing you need to take away from Who you decide to say I do to is the biggest decision outside of Jesus you will make in your life. Because you will find very quickly the difficulties that come with it, the problems that you, but you are making a pledge to say, I do, till death do us part, between you, God, family, friends, and in the entire world. Marriage is a big deal, young people. Amen? Amen. I've always wondered why we let people get married who we won't let rent a car. You can't rent a car until you're 25, but we let you get married at 19. Anyway, all right. If you're taking notes, we're going to start with this thought. It's this. A Christian marriage is not immune from conflict. Just because you're saved and he's saved and you're both believers, you've been baptized, just because you're both trying to serve God does not mean that your marriage is going to be... That's a misconception that once you follow Jesus, everything's perfect. Once I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, he's washed away my sin. I'm new. I'm part of the family of God. I've been born again. Everything's going to be so much easier. That is not true at all. But let me just say this to you. Even conflict in your marriage, and by the way, I think I can make a pretty good point that great conflict in your marriage brings more honor to Jesus than probably anything else. Meaning this, it would be easy for you, the two of you to split up. It would be easy for you to run away. But instead, you double down and you put Jesus at the center. And your marriage, people are like, why are you two still married? How is this even possible? And you say, listen, I understand. It doesn't make sense. I'm mad. But this is a work that Jesus is doing. Maybe the conflict in your marriage that you're running from is the thing that's going to bring the most honor to God in your life. Why is it so important? Well, if you're taking notes, marriage illustrates the union of Jesus and the believers. Marriage illustrates the union of Jesus and the believers. Listen, this is what salvation is. You don't misunderstand me. Salvation is this. You were born a sinner. You were conceived in sin. And because of that sin, somebody has to pay for that sin and that penalty. But God loved you so much, he sent Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin, to live 33 sinless years on this planet, to die in a cruel Roman cross, to conquer the grave three days later. He paid for your sin. But listen, you have to say, I do to him. You have to ask him. You have to confess your sin. You have to ask him to be the payment for your sin. And all marriages is this. The bride, that white dress, right, represents the white spotlessness that a believer in Jesus Christ has. The, the, the whole world might see your problems and everything, but when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, God sees you sinless. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Say amen. amen. And the groom represents Jesus. And here's the thing that Jesus has done. Don't let anybody confuse you on this. 
Jesus has said, I do to every person on this planet. He has said, I will unite with you. I will forgive you. I will make you born again. I will bring you into the family of God to every person on this planet. The question is, have you said, I do to Jesus? You know, I use marriage, excuse me, weddings as an uh, illustration of salvation. I don't understand everything. I don't remember, excuse me, everything that took place at my wedding. I don't remember all the stuff that took place. Brother Garter uh, forgot the, the vows, and he started making my wife vow that she would clean the house and do the dishes. It was great. Anyways, I remind her of that often and stuff. But I don't remember anything, but you know what I do remember? I remember saying yes to her. I remember everything when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I don't remember all the details of it, but I do remember kneeling down in, in my bedroom, confessing that I was sitting there and begging God to forgive me and to save me from my sin. I do remember that. You see, marriage represents a Christian coming to Jesus. That's why God wants to protect him. You see, but the answer, well, the answer for all of this we looked at before the answer for racial conflict, and next week we're going to look at the answer for conflict between you and another Christian, another church member. The answer for conflict in your marriage is Jesus. You see, here's the problem with your conflict. The problem with your conflict is maybe one of you in the conflict isn't saved. Maybe one of you might have said a prayer. Maybe one of you got baptized or something else. One of you may not actually be a true believer in Jesus Christ, born again, redeemed. Maybe another part of the conflict is you're a believer trying to serve Jesus, but he is a backslidden, wayward, whatever term it out, carnal, fleshly. He's a fleshly Christian who has more in common with an unsaved person than he does with a person serving Jesus. But ultimately, all of your answers, the conflict resolution, is Jesus. Sir, I'm going to talk to you a lot today because, honestly, in most marriages, you're the problem. You're the problem. But let me just say this to you, sir. Your prayers are not being answered if you are not leading your life correctly. If you are not loving your wife and taking care of her the way Jesus, your prayers are not being answered. He said, well, Pastor Steve, that's a bold thing. Really? 1 Peter 3, 7 should be every husband should know this. Likewise, these husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, that means physically weaker, as being heirs together, the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. If you're not taking care of your wife, if you're not treating her like Jesus commanded you to, would you do me a favor? Don't pray for me. Because God's not listening to your prayers. Amen, ladies? Amen. See, you are more than an answered prayer. You are the conduit of his prayers. Just off the top of my head. We're going to look at three bits today. And I put them in descending order, but I think they're the three most important. Myths in marriage, if you're taking notes. Number one, the love myth. The love myth. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about loving your spouse and everything else. But as we start this off, you need to understand, you do not need to be in love to have a happy marriage. You don't need to be in love. In fact... Do you know the statistics of marriages that last like 99% are lasting and, and that say they're happy even after 30, 40 years? They're arranged marriages. Where so many of them only meet their spouse when they say, I do on that day. They're completely arranged. They don't know this person. The family picked them and they didn't. Look, I'll ask young people often, why do you want to get married? When they come to me and, oh, we want to get married. Why do you want to get married? Because we're in love. Wrong answer. I mean, that's, just because you love somebody is the worst answer for marrying them. 
I mean, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would not marry them. Get good seats, but I wouldn't. Look, love is a choice. You said, well, Pastor Steve, I'm married, but I do not love her. You can choose to love her. Love is a choice. Well, how do I know I'm married to the right person? Are you married? Yes, you're married to the right person. That's the person God wants you to be. Even if you chose poorly 50 years ago, 30 years ago, or two weeks ago, you've got a lot of problems with it's two weeks ago. The person you're married to is the person God wants you to be married to. Love, love is not the reason to get married. Love is the byproduct of a healthy relationship. It's the byproduct. So he starts off with the husband here, verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, put up with your wives. Doesn't say it. <laughs> Husbands, dominate your wife in some sort of sick, codependent relation. He doesn't say that. He says, this is radical, by the way, what Paul is saying. He's writing this to a group of people not far from Saudi Arabia culture today who would just throw their wives out at any given chance, and if they didn't make her happy, who would beat their wives. And, and, and even that, they'll say that in Saudi Arabia, in Muslim world, it's about beating your wife. This is the context that Paul is writing to that they treated. Look, there was cattle and wives, right? And cattle can do more than a wife, so they're more valuable. Paul says this, radical concept, ladies. Jesus and Christianity raised women up. The world in sin lowered you down. Paul says this, love your wife. That's a radical thought to the group he's writing this to. Why or how? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself away. Skip down to verse 28. So ought men to love their wives until she gets overweight. <laughs> Just says a little bit too much of her. Can I just stop for a moment here? I'd like to talk to the gentleman here. I don't know how many husbands have come and said things to me in counseling and stuff and said, uh, well, you know, she used to be a size six. Have you looked at yourself lately? Yeah. I mean, you don't even have hair anymore. <laughs> Eat a salad. Go for a walk. Look at you, chubby. You're talking about your wife. She's given birth to multiple children. She almost died giving birth to these kids. And you're sitting there going, well, she should be a different dress size. We're going to start smacking husbands at the end of your service. Gentlemen, you know how you're supposed to love her? As your own bodies. Everybody loves their own body, no matter what you say. Because I'm always thinking about what my body eats, the comfort of my body, the pleasure of my body. I'm always thinking about me. I'm my favorite person. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh. What does he do? But he nourishes it, he gives it food. He cherishes it, he takes care of it, he wants it to be comfortable. Even as the Lord, the church. That is how you're supposed to love your wife. We have turned the word love into a four-letter word. Get it? One of the work is love. <laughs> There's three Greek words for love. One of them does not appear in the Bible, the Bible if you're taking notes. These are the three types of love. Number one is eros. Eros is romantic love. Eros is where we get that word erotic from. Eros is uh, finding somebody physically attractive. This word is never used uh, in the Bible, but that's okay. Uh, your love and how you view your wife, you're going to change your husband. And it's amazing that any woman ever finds any guy attractive. I've never met a good-looking man yet. 
They're disgusting, gross pigs, but I'm glad you ladies think we're nice, okay? I don't understand why my wife loves me, but all right. Uh, the words, each word has a, a word picture illustration, okay? So the word arrows is a picture of two people looking at each other, right? Look, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so handsome. Oh. And it's the idea of two people kind of hugging. It's, the, it's kind of a physical intimacy. It's kissing. Again, it's where we get our word erotic. It means romance. Uh, ladies, he needs to romance you, right? Uh, you know what, ladies? I'm just going to work against you. That's your problem. <laughs> ladies, if he's not romancing him, it's your fault. There you go. Right, gentlemen? Yeah, see? I'm going to work with you guys now. Ladies, he needs to romance you. Amen? Amen. There is nothing wrong with eros in a marriage. It needs to be there. But here's the problem. Most of you will get married simply because of eros. Most people get married because, oh, she's hot. Oh, he's so good looking. Or this, or I. We're so attracted to each other. There's a physical connection and everything else like that. That is not the love you need that will go the distance. That's eros. Second type of love is philo. And philo means brotherly love. It has the idea with friendship. That's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love or city of brotherly shop. It means philanthropic. It means charity work. And this idea, this word here, young people, this is important, okay? Just because you're attracted to somebody doesn't mean you should marry them. Just because you think somebody's hot does not mean you're in love. Philo has the idea of not two people looking at each other because there's physical sparks. It's the idea of two people looking in the same direction because they have something in common. It's often been said, you know, opposites attract. No, they don't. They divorce. If, if the person you're going to marry, you need to get as much in common with them, uh, uh, views and everything else, the number one thing you need to keep in front of you is Jesus Christ. Young person, young people, the first criteria of any person you marry or date, are they a believer? It is one of the biggest struggles you will ever do in your life. And some of you right now can say amen to this. One of the biggest struggles you will ever have in your life is if you are a believer and you marry a non-believer. They have something in common. They're philo. They're looking in the same direction. And by the way, gentlemen, this means your wife should be your best friend. You don't got to go hunting with her. I don't blame her for not wanting to do that. I think it's stupid myself. You, you trudge out there in the middle of the woods. You don't get to talk. You don't get to say anything. You just sit there. Worst thing comes by, a deer comes. You shoot it, then you got to gut it, then i got to carry it two or three miles out. How is this fun? This is why God created Kroger. <laughs> on and on. Right? You don't have to share the same everything. There's different, you know, not, you don't have the same encounter with all of your friends. But your wife needs to be your best friend. Philo. Number three, agape. And this is the important, this is the key. This is the, a, a lot of people, almost everybody who gets married has arrows. I think they're hot. I think you're hot. You're physically attracted. I love kissing you. A, a lot of them have philo. That's great. There's things in common. There's a connection and stuff. Your best friends, that's really great. Very few marriages get to agape. Agape is a giving love. Do you know what agape is? Agape is looking at one while the other is looking at something else. Agape is the type of love a mother has for a baby. Babies are horrible. Anybody ever think, oh, I want to have a baby. Why? You have to feed them and change them. These babies are liars, too. There was these little, these little monsters, I mean, you know, these little babies and stuff, 
They will lie to you. They will scream and cry. They're not hungry. They're not wet. A, they just want you to pick them up. They're completely lying to you. Okay? And here's the other thing. They're your replacement. They're your replacement. So watch these babies. When you see them smiling at you, they're not smiling because they love you. They're like, I'm going to take your job in your house. Ha -ha. That's what they're thinking. But it's the idea of a, child, a parent looking at a child who can do nothing in return, who can give them nothing, but yet they give unconditional love. You see, this is the way God loves us. Agape is the type of love that Jesus has for you. God loved you when you were a sinner, could give nothing back to him. You were a depraved sinner, but yet God chose to still love you. It's unconditional love. And this is the type of love your marriage needs to get to. See, you'll never have this type of love if you're not both believers in Jesus Christ. Now, what I would like you to do on this agape term, stay with me here for a second, okay? Here's some of the best marriage advice I can give you, all right? Sir, you love your wife. You just love her like the only way she can ever receive love from God is through you. Now, that's, that's not true, but you just that's how you operate. The only way you'll ever experience God's love and grace and mercy is through me. And that's how I'm just going to love you. I am now a conduit for God's love. Everything I do, this is the only opportunity. Ma'am, you talk to him like the only words from God, not true, but you talk to him like the only words from God he can ever get come from your lips. You lift him up with your words. You know what you're doing? You are now taking your marriage and you're turning it into worship. I had a talk with a young a husband. He didn't like my advice. Still gave it to him. He's having a problem with his wife and everything, and I listened to him. I said, I'm going to tell you what the problem, the problem is you. He didn't like that. You just said, listen, you're listing off all these things you do for your wife and you're doing, and you expect her to do these things in return. That's not marriage. That's a contract. You have that same contract with your cell phone company. You give them money, they provide service, right? You think the same thing with your wife. You give her money, you think she should be providing service or doing things. That's not marriage. You need to get to agape. This is what I want you to do. I want you to love your wife, forgive your wife, cherish your wife, take care of your wife, and expect nothing in return. No, no, but if I do all that, she might not do anything. And I said, exactly. You know what that is? It's faith. You are now taking your marriage and you are making it an object of worship towards God. I don't care, ladies, this is your view. I don't care what this knucklehead I married, who you chose, by the way. Well, he's this, he's this. Well, what kind of sick person would have married him? You did. I mean, ladies, you're always giving these lists of your husbands, and I say the same thing. What a crazy person. Only a psychopath would have married him. Well, what'd you marry him for? He was the same way. Right, Jim? <laughs> you look at Jim Merrill, you think he looks silly. You should have seen him when they got married. He looked even sillier. <laughs> Ladies, you just view it like this. I'm going to love him. I'm going to God be love him. I'm going to expect nothing in return. I'm going to forgive him. I'm just going to serve him as a wife. I'm going to take care of him. And if he gives me anything in return, that's his problem because I'm doing this all as honor and worship to Jesus. Sir, you love your wife, you cherish her, you take care of her, you're romantic to her, you buy her flowers, you buy her jewelry, you do all that stuff chicks like, and you say, well, Pastor, she might not do it in return. It doesn't matter what she does. You're doing it all for Jesus. She really isn't even part of the equation. If she gives it back, good for her. If she doesn't, it's still more about Jesus. You see, the answer for your conflict 
is Jesus. Amen? Uh, see, you do this, you know what your marriage is now about? It's all about Jesus. See, well, I'm married to this crazy woman. Little tip, all you unmarried guys, they're all crazy. It's just different levels. I'm married to this crazy woman. You know whose problem that crazy woman is now? Good luck, Lord. You made her. It's now Jesus' problem. My whole marriage now is about honoring and glorifying and bringing worship to Jesus. Number two, the 50-50 myth. Marriage is 50-50. Wrong. Divorce is 50-50. Someone once said, love is blind and marriage is the eye of it. For all Christians, the answer to conflict here is in verse 21. This is conflict between you and your mother-in-law. This is conflict you and another Christian. This is racial conflict. All conflict, the answer is right here in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Um, nobody can hate a submitter. The word submit there has a lot of different meanings. It's in the original language, hypothos. And it means submitting to someone else. The practical meaning of the word submitting means going 100% in. 100% being committed. And now notice something. Who is supposed to be doing the submitting here in verse 21? Paul is not yet talking about marriage, is he? A lot of people like husbands like to point out the verse that follows after verse 22, but very few will skip up a verse before and say, who is supposed to be doing the submitting here? All of us are supposed to be submitting it to each other. Paul is going to be giving it marriage advice but before he says this, listen, you submit to each other. How? As unto the Lord. Meaning, your submission to each other is a form of worship to Jesus Christ. Again, I've said this before, let me emphasize it. A Christian is commanded, not optional, not if you think about it, not if it works out okay. A Christian is commanded to marry Christians. Amen? Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? You marry somebody who's not a believer, they're in darkness, you're in light. You have fellowship with Jesus, they don't have that. You have a huge conflict that's going to take place. And young people, until my bill, the resolution that I introduced in Congress, that says fathers get to pick their daughters, his daughter's husband, until that bill passes... Better hurry up, I've got less than a year. Until that happens, young people, you will marry who you date. Right? So here's the rule. You want to find out how deep Jesus is to you? Will you date somebody who's not a believer? If I'm supposed to marry a Christian, I should only date a Christian. Amen? And can I just suggest this too? I'm meddling in some of your young people's lives. This is the best advice you might give about this subject. Whatever you're thinking about dating and everything, push it back. Meaning, if you start dating in junior high, and you start kissing somebody in junior high, what are you going to be doing in high school? What are you going to be doing in college? How about this idea? Don't date in high school. We won't let you vote for president because we don't trust your judgment. <laughs> In fact, there's a, there's a whole bunch of states who shouldn't be allowed to vote for president. But anyway, 
We won't. Why? Because we don't trust your judgment. We're going to let you in. 16? But I'm in love. You know the statistics are very clear? The people who get married about 25, 27, those people have the most success in marriages. The divorce rate, every 19 years old to get married, it's about 90% divorce rate. Every year after, it goes down by 10%. So maybe if you didn't date in high school or junior high, maybe not until college, you would be better at picking people and you wouldn't jump into something physical so quick. Amen. I see every father with a daughter should be saying it. Say amen, George. Amen. Thank you, thank you. You got two daughters, say amen twice. Anyways, but after saying both of them should submit 100%, Paul's going to remind the woman here. He, we use this verse too inappropriately and out of context. Paul reminds the woman about this in verse 22. Wives, submit yourself. Go 100% in. Respect yourselves unto your own husbands. Why? As unto the Lord. Men are bad about sharing their heart outside of marriage. You share it with golf. You share it with sports. You share it with silly things like hunting and stuff like that. Women are bad about sharing. Uh, ladies, your husband will only go as far as you let him go. Your husband will only go as far as your words. There are four things every woman needs to know. Every wife needs to know about her husband. These are four important. Mark these down. Write these down in your notes. Four things you have to know. Number one, he is what he is. Quit <laughs> trying to change him into something he's not. I'm not talking about bad habits. I'm not talking about drinking. I'm not talking about sin or anything. I'm not. Quit trying to make him a city slicker. Right? He is what he is. That's his personality. That's who he is. There was something about him that attracted you. Every, every wife, every bride gets married thinking, I'm going to change him. And every groom gets married thinking, I hope she never changes. And both of them are wrong. You can't change so many. Listen. You're, look, again, I'm not talking about sin and drinking and drugs. And, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. You're still berating this guy because he can't pick up his socks. What do you want? Do you want a good man or do you want somebody who knows how to pick up hosiery? <laughs> Some of the things women complain about men is that it's not going to change. His mom hasn't changed him and you're not going to change. It's been 20 years. Let it go. He is what he is. And if you didn't like what he is, why'd you marry him? Right? Every man just saying that. You are so weak. Every real man saying that. Yeah, the rest of you. Number two, and this is so important and it's so obvious. Number two, he's not a woman. This seems so obvious and it seems so blatant. But you ask a lady to list off all of her qualifications, oh, giving you the characteristics of a great husband. And at the end of it, you realize she's talking about a woman. Let me just say this for every man who's ever been in your life, every man who ever will be in your life, your son, your dad, your husband, everybody. We don't understand you. <laughs> We've never known what you're thinking, and we never will. And you keep something here. So he should know what's on my mind. He would if he was a chick, but he's not. My wife does this repeatedly. Like Christmas, like Christmas presents and birthday presents and stuff. And I'll say, what do you want? You should know. <laughs> We've been married 26 years. I've known you 28 years of my life. 
I still don't know what you want. And sometimes you mean, I've left hints. I don't know. Unless you send it to me in an email, Christmas presents, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Ladies, he's not a woman. But he should just be so emotional. And he should That's not a dude. That's a woman. He is not a woman. There's a reason you married him. Amen, gentlemen. Some of you are good. Number three, he is proud. The key, listen, the key to a man's heart is not a stomach. Not. A guy will put up with bad food with a woman he loves. You know what the key to a man's heart is? His ego. Ladies, you kill his pride. And you're just killing yourself. You lift him up with your words. He knows everything he's not good at. He knows his flaws. Women, men are so easy to manipulate. It is shockingly easy to manipulate a man. Yes, you can do it with a pretty smile, but you know what even more than a pretty smile? Positive words on his ego. You say, but he's not good at anything. Why'd you marry him? He's not good at All he does is come home and sit on the couch and watch TV. And this is what you do. You say, sweetheart, you are so important to our family. Because if for some reason gravity stopped working, I know the couch isn't going anywhere. You're, you're the best gravity-defining husband ever. And it changed the batteries in the remote. He Nobody changes the batteries better than you. And every lady in here has thought, that won't work. It is so obvious it will work. You tell your husband he's good at stuff. You find the stuff you want him to be good at, and you start praising him about it. Well, he's really bad at romance. Keep encouraging. Oh, that was so nice. You know, you got me a vacuum for my birthday. <laughs> He's not, okay? You can either do that or you can turn on him and put him down and say, you didn't get it again, you moron. Another one. Hoover, you know what sucks in this relationship? You do. No. <laughs> you can keep doing that, right? You can keep doing that. You know what he'll do? He'll stay down there. You lift him up with his words and his pride. That man will do whatever you... Look, you want to an example? I've got little girls, right? I've got big girls, little girls. Older girls. That's not what I meant. Big girls. I've got a 23. I've got a 12. I got a four, I got a three, I got a two, I got a problem. <laughs> Here's the thing with girls and their daddies. Girls, if you got a good dad, you get anything you want. You just go up there, he comes home from work, you get his iced tea, slippers, whatever he wants. You sit on his lap and stuff. You say, Daddy, you're just the best daddy. He's got three hairs on his head. You, you, you circle. You have such nice hair. You just do this. And then you, and then you go, Dad, can I have a car? You know what a good dad's going to be like? If you're not getting in trouble, he's going to bust his tail to get you a car. You know why? Because men are easy to manipulate. You talk to him about where you want him to be, and eventually he'll be there. He said, that, that can't be. Because you're thinking of him as a woman. Number four, he wants your respect before your love. Number one thing every man wants in his marriage, whether he knows how to say it or not, he wants respect. Ladies, I mean, put down your arms, quit fighting. We can stop so much conflict in marriage if we just respected each other. You say, but he's wrong. 
you know what? That's not your problem anymore. That's God's problem because your marriage is now worship to Jesus. You let God crank it. He said, well, well, my mother says that's your problem. When you got married, you left your mother. Your mother might be a nice person, but I don't care what your mother says. You are now bound to this man to the day you die. Amen? And if you're here and your husband's not saved, write down 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. It talks about how a, a wife with an unsaved husband, he eventually will get saved and how she respects him and everything. Basically, what I'm talking about. And sir, how are you supposed to go 100%? Look at verse 23. This is you, sir. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ. You're supposed to do it just like Christ. Even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. What does this mean? Sir. You are supposed to be the leader of your home. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home. You are supposed to be the protector of your home. You stop the dangerous things, you stop the unspiritual things, and you stop it with you. If you had to, you'd step in front of a bullet for your wife. Why won't you step in front of sin for your wife and say, this isn't going to take place in our home? You know how a husband is supposed to lead his family and take care of it? There's got this video I want to show you. It's only like 10 seconds, and it's one of these Antifa rallies and stuff. And there's a group of street preachers, right? And this guy is going to sucker punch one of the uh, street preachers when he's not looking. This little punk Antifa. But this other street preacher is an MMA fighter. So this is how a husband's supposed to protect his family. Watch this. They're talking, they're talking. The guy's going to look away. Watch this. He just grabs his hand. Watch it goes. No. <laughs> my house. That's not going to take place. You see, you lead and you love your family like Jesus does. Jesus would never leave you, would he? I just say this to you, just kind of politeness. You're here, sir. You're thinking about leaving your family? Jesus never loved you. You're supposed to lead your home like Jesus would. Jesus would never give up on you. Sir? This is why pornography is dangerous. This is why drugs and alcohol are dangerous. This is why materialism is dangerous. Because you get sucked into these things, and these are taker things instead of giving things. And you bring this sin into your home. Instead of being the one who grabs it and stops it and says, not in my home, you welcome that poison into your family, and it destroys it. See, conflicts in homes, it can't be avoided. But you can't give it to Jesus. And number three, marriage conflict myth. The isolation myth. Meaning this, well, our marriage, it doesn't affect anyone. Really? Do you have kids? And here's the thing some of you might be thinking, yeah, until they get to 18. As soon as that last one's 18, graduates high school, goes off to college, that's when we're done. That's the isolation myth. You're thinking that, well, they'll, they'll be immune to everything that's going to happen as soon as they're 18. Listen, even if you don't have kids, your marriage is a testimony to Jesus. Your marriage is, is a, a, a object lesson of what God does with the believer in Jesus Christ. The he here in verse 26 and 27 is not just the husband, it's Jesus and how he is committed and the she is the church. Sir, look at this in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that it should be holy and without blemish. As I end this, if you're taking notes, your marriage is a testimony to Jesus.
Your response to conflict is response to your faith in Jesus. Tammy, put that up there for me. Your marriage is a testimony to Jesus. See, anybody can stay married if everything's perfect. What a great testimony it is. And you two, I don't understand how that couple stays together. And they tell you, Jesus. How have you been able to stay with that man? Jesus. How have you been able to love that woman? Jesus. How have you been able to forgive each other? Jesus. Your response to conflict, and there's going to be conflict, all it does, it doesn't demonstrate what allows you married or how she's turned into her mother. It doesn't demonstrate any of it. Your response to the conflict demonstrates your faith and trust in Jesus. Because you're putting him at the center of it. This works for your mother-in-law, it works for any issue, but primarily it works for your marriage. Someone said conflict is natural, normal, neutral, and sometimes even delightful. It can turn into painful or disastrous ends, but it doesn't need to. Conflict is neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. Conflict simply is how we view, how we approach, and how we work through our differences does to a large extent determine our whole life pattern and our faith in Jesus. So when you have a conflict, let me just ask you these questions as we close. How does Jesus treat us when we're in conflict with him? Aren't you glad, ma'am, that Jesus doesn't treat you the same way as you treat your husband? Sir, you're supposed to be a living testimony of how Jesus loves people unconditionally and loves your children and loves your wife. Do you love her until, until she does, or until she stops, or until she acts? What is my conflict really about? And how would submitting to this other person, how would submitting to my spouse, how would going 100% in, respecting this other person, how would it change my conflict? And is the person I'm thinking about marrying in the future, is this going to bring honor and glory to God, the person I'm going to marry? That's the answer. Racial conflict? It's the answer for church member, it's the answer for conflict inside the home. You know how we're supposed to treat each other? You know how we're supposed to treat each other? We're supposed to treat each other with kindness, love, compassion. We're supposed to treat each other with forgiveness. We're supposed to treat each other with patience, long-suffering. These are all fruits of the Spirit. I want to end with this little video. The video was entitled, The Best Brother Ever. And you watch how this little brother, this brother treats his little sister. This is how you're supposed to treat your wife. This is how you're supposed to treat your husband. This is how you're supposed to treat your other fellow church members, other Christians. This is how you're supposed to treat people of different race and nationality. This is how you're supposed to treat your mother-in-law. Show us. If we lifted each other up, if we encouraged each other, if we loved each other, if we put Jesus at the center.
we do something a little different. We bow your head and close your eyes up here. Normally, we do a big public invitation. No one's looking around. Band, come on up. Stand up play. If you're here, what Ray will do, and you're sitting next to your spouse, would you hold hands for a second? Asking you to come forward right now might be difficult in praying, even if it's not even about your marriage. There's that pressure, that feeling that, oh, maybe everyone thinks my marriage isn't going well. What I'd like you to do, just simply squeeze their hand. When you squeeze their hand, you're just telling them, I love you. I could do better. I want our marriage to bring honor and glory to Jesus. When you squeeze their hand, maybe it's a way of saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. When you squeeze their hand, maybe it's a way of making a commitment to them, saying, from now on, I'm going to love you, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to do all of this to bring honor and glory to Jesus. If you give it back to me, that's great. But by faith, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to agape love you. I think you're beautiful arrows. You're my best friend, Philo. But today, I want to start agape loving you. You just grab that hand and you squeeze it, because it's going to be difficult to come forward and pray in front of a whole group. And then maybe later on in the week, you talk to your spouse and you say, hey, when I squeezed your hand, this is what it meant. Ladies, if it's hard for him to talk, maybe he just needs you a little note or a text message. Gentlemen, I don't know how many of your wives are probably begging, begging to have their hands squeezed right now. Why don't you reply? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that while I was yet a sinner, you loved me. While I had nothing to offer, you just chose to agape love me. And Father, when I still sometimes don't give back to you, when I wander far, when I give my heart to someone else, you still love me. Help every man, every husband in this room love their wives the same way. Father, help each one of us to submit to the other, to respect, to lift the other up, to not put each other down, but Father, through the act of worship, to love one another. Bless every home and marriage in this room today. In Jesus' precious name. Would you stand with me?